Welcome back to No Picks After Dark. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. This evening, we have an amazing guest. Um, we've had brunch club together, and we chit-chat about a lot of things in life. And one day, we were going to a group dinner, and uh, she gave me this amazing story that to, to this day, I'm just amazed. So today... <laughs> Um, we have fabulous Monica. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thanks for the introduction, Aaron. Hey, no problem. Glad you're here. Yeah. So uh, give us like, you know, a little background about yourself and how do we, how did we get to, you know, the story? Just give us the background. Yeah. Um, well, I, I'll skip the, the brunch club part. Um, but basically I, I currently am an attorney, um, but I re- majored in undergrad in Russian language and literature. Um, and so Part of that was studying abroad in Russia, uh, which was definitely an experience. I was there um, in the spring of 2006. So that was uh, 13 years ago, quite a while ago. Uh, and things were, I think, different there. Um, there was a rising middle class. People were a lot more op- optimistic. It was before the recession. Um, and the story that Aaron alluded to um, was we had like a spring sort of all the students went on a trip to um, Sochi, which is on the Black Sea, but it's more famous for obviously the Winter Olympics and the absolute disaster that was the Winter Olympics uh, at Sochi. And I I can tell you um, with subsequent stories, actually, I think the the story that I will launch into um, is kind of a model of uh, what it is like in Russia. uh, If, if you, you know, think of the Sochi Olympics and all the pictures of the toilets that weren't working and things like that. Um, my story involves a toilet not working. <laughs> so um, without further delay, um, the train, I was uh, studying abroad in St. Petersburg and the train from Sochi back up to St. Petersburg, it's a 40 hour train ride. Um, and because we were all traveling together as students, we traveled in what's called Platzkart class. Um, and basically what it is, is there are uh, two bunks on either side of a table and um, the bunks on the top flip up during the day and you sit on the bottom bunks and you put out the table and you like eat, play cards, drink, obviously we're in Russia. Um, And during this trip, now keep in mind, there's um, 50 people in one Platzkart car and there are two toilets on either end of either end of the train car And during the trip, I don't even know at what point, but it was definitely early on, one of the toilets stopped working. So we had one toilet to 50 people on a train, uh, well, um, in this train car, which was pretty, pretty bad. Um, You look like you. (laughs) Um, And because in Russia, another interesting fun fact, um, Russians smoke a lot. Um, so at the end of the train car, uh, there's a little area where people can go to smoke. So in order to really sort of avoid the, the other fun, another fun fact, Russians are very um, European in their sensibilities about how often they take showers. So uh, not keeping in mind too, that, you know, we were traveling for 40 hours, so we hadn't, um, showered and, Russians are also superstitious about drafts. So anytime we tried to open the window um, to get fresh air in, they would ask us to close it. So 
in order to escape the overwhelming stench of everybody in this train along with like the not working toilet, I actually would just go to the smoking portion of the car. Um, but that said, it was, it, it was a great, um, experience and obviously I will never forget it. Um, and I would, I hope to do it again someday only with, you know, two working toilets and possibly a, a sleeping car. <laughs> now, this kind of blows my mind. Would you call Russia a third world country? Oof. Um, that's a difficult question. Um, portions of it. Um, I think are very poor, very much like in our country too, though. Um, there's a huge disparity in the country between, um, the people that have money and the people that don't, um, unlike here, however, um, people tend to, I mean, they have smaller families to make up for the fact that they don't have money. There's also not room. Um, at least when it was fully a socialist country, you were given an apartment by the state. Um, and you, you know, because people didn't have money, they usually had one child, um, and that was it. Um, and then there weren't necessarily apartments that could accommodate people that had, um, more than, um, one child. Uh, and you'll see, uh, I mean, there's just so many issues with alcoholism. Um, and I, I don't even know what the average, uh, life expectancy of a Russian male is these days, but I think when I was there, it was 55 years old. Like it was really bad. Um, but, and you can see, you can see the differences between like the haves and the have nots because it's just so, um, striking. And I guess I didn't see that, um, so much. I studied abroad in St. Petersburg and then I taught English in Moscow and you saw it really more in Moscow because that was where, um, that was where all the like oil wealth was, um, from the people who got their money from when, um, the state owned oil companies were privatized, uh, and just the stuff that you could have access to in Moscow. Um, but then the stuff that, uh, and I guess that's not, that's not describing it very well. Um, you can basically have, you know, a five-star European hotel in Moscow, but then, um, there are people that, you know, go home to a studio size apartment and the state is the one who, um, who regulates like the heat. Uh, so <laughs> you, you, sometimes you're freezing. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so give us a background. What, um, what interests you to have an undergrad <laughs> and what interests you going to Russia? Because, Again, the running theme is behind the red curtain. Yeah. <laughs> and we always think of Mikhail Gorbachev, Ronald Reagan, Let My People Go, or whatever it may have been, and the people marching in uh, the square. Is that right? Is it it's Red Square. Red yeah. Square. And that's what we see on TV. Mm -hmm. In my mind, that's what I think of Russia. I think of Putin. I think of crazy people who hate, <laughs> who, who hate America. Um, I've heard stories, and like I said, hopefully you can... Spell some of these myths. Uh, I've heard that when you land in Russia, like they, you better be where you are. 
and be able to be what you're doing because guess what? They will be looking for you if you're not despised. So without further ado, I'm going to let you go back. Yeah. Um, I don't, I guess. So why getting back to the, the question first, um, I was a voracious reader, um, when I, and, and I still am, and I read Russian, um, novels in translation. And I think Aaron knows and knows my personality that when I set my mind to something, I, I do it. Um, and so I thought, well, I really want to read these in the original language. So I decided I um, was also an English major, but I took a Russian class and I fell in love with it. And so I just started um, studying Russian. So the like the lens through which I view Russia is more through the literary lens, but the literature there is also colored a lot by um, what it's, you know, turbulent history, obviously. Uh, and I think if, for I, but the weird thing is, is my perspective from having lived in Russia is that I don't think Russia is very different from the United States. Um, we like to think that, I mean, I don't know if we do, uh, but people might think that Russians hate Americans. I wouldn't, I mean, I never personally experienced that. Um, and I don't know that it's a hatred so much as it's they have a fierce nationalism. I mean, just like the United States, I, I would, um, you know, liken it to how patriotic people can be. But then you also have, um, you know, the offshoots that are a bit scarier that are more like white nationalists um, <laughs> over there in, in Russia. So I don't think that there's um, necessarily a hatred or, um, you know, dislike of the United States. And a lot of my interactions were actually with younger people. So I think they have a different perspective on the relationship. There are a lot of um, younger people over there that didn't grow up under the Soviet Union. So they don't understand like their parents' perspective um, on uh, the issues. I will say though, that it's very difficult to get around in Russia if you don't speak any Russian. Um, and um, if you do speak English. If you do go to Russia and I don't know, I mean, I was there for, I was there a while ago. Um, you aren't going to find many people that speak English. And, um, if they do, they usually aren't going to want to speak it, um, with you. Um, so that, I mean, and none of the signs, the signs are all in Cyrillic. So right from the jump, it can be very difficult to navigate uh, in the country if you don't speak any Russian. Not only that, but like, um, at least in St. Petersburg, if you um, were like a Russian citizen, um, they charge you drastically reduced rates to go to, um, you know, the museums and things like that. So um, I could I could pass while I was there. So it'd be like $25 for somebody who was, you know, f not from Russia to go to the Hermitage. But because I had like a student pass, um, it was like, you know, two bucks. <laughs> so <laughs> it was really nice. Wow. wow. Um, that, to me, that's, I get it. I get it. I mean, when I go to most European countries, a lot of people's, you know, that everybody speaks a lot of English. Like that's typical, but Russia, nothing like that at all. Yeah. Like, you know, I was just in Sweden and Norway and I didn't even attempt to learn Swedish or Norwegian and I didn't even have to worry about it. Everybody spoke English and I could just speak English from the jump and it was not a concern. And I think like the big mistake a lot of English speakers make in Russia um, and in, in many countries is that uh, not just English speakers, but I would say 
U.S. citizens, we speak very loudly and we're, you know, we tend to really take over a space when we're in it and draw attention to ourselves. And the last thing you want to do when you're in Russia um, as a U.S. citizen, I would say, is draw attention to yourself because you're required to carry your passport with you at all times. And so if you're being very loud, um, you can draw attention. Um, and the militia, um, you know, who's the militia? Uh, Who? Sorry, yeah, I see you. The, uh, help, the, help us. Help the militia or the police? Not, um, not the KGB. Yeah, no, that's not the KGB. <laughs> okay, all right. I never. I, not. I, I don't think I will. And they're the they're the FSB now. Um, and uh, so I don't know that I encountered any. Um, you know, I, I doubt that I encountered any spies while I was over there. Um, but their police. Um, you know, they're definitely willing to uh, extort money out of people to. You know. Uh, I get harass people. Um, I did have a, when I was there teaching in, in English in Moscow, um, we lived, my um, roommate and I was one of my fellow uh, teachers. She was from um, Canada and she had never been to Russia before. Didn't speak a little Russian. <laughs> she was really nice, but she also just didn't have the experience over there. And one day was, this, you know, a Sunday we were prepping for our classes and there's a knock on the door. And um, I think, just the trusting nature of, I mean, I'm sure Canada's police, you know, are much nicer even than our police in the U S she, she opened the door and, um, I was, uh, you know, I was in the bedroom at the time. I'm like, Oh no, who's this guy in our apartment? Um, and he, he said, and she didn't speak Russian. So, um, and, I do. Um, so he was saying somebody called in your apartment building and said that you have an there's an unregistered person living there. Now you have to register everywhere. Like, yeah. And if you want to talk about like state intruding on people's freedoms, um, you have to like register your dwell like dwelling place with the state. And I guess you have to have um, permission from the government to live where you're living. And the company that I was working for had gone through all that and done all that. And I had a copy of the lease and all that sort of stuff. Um, but the guy wasn't having it. And then there was, so there was the police officer and then there was some guy in plain clothes who was just, um, there to be a jerk. Um, and he was like, you know, in the U S you can't just move wherever you want and like not let the government know. And I'm like, actually you can, (laughs) like, I don't have to ask the government's permission to move. Um, in the United States. And he would just like, looked at me like that was the the craziest thing. Um, and so, so this is the whole time you're talking to the police mm-hmm. equivalent and they're basically telling you, you need to have identification and all this other stuff. Not identification. It was like this certificate to show that I, it was like an a residency permit, like that I was authorized to live in that particular apartment, um, which I had, but they kept saying that it wasn't that. And I was like, oh, this is going to go really well. So they end up taking us to the local police station. Um, and I don't, at some point I was able to call, um, there's a, a guy who works for a company who's basically like a fixer. Um, and so we, we, we have a lot of fixtures in this world. I'm not going to name any names, but, uh, it's in the news. Yeah. 
was basically a fixer who anytime you got into trouble with um, Russian authorities, uh, he was sort of there to smooth things out. Um, and but I the the craziest thing, well, there's two crazy things that I really stood out to me um, when I was there is that the guy, the the police officer wrote out a confession in his own hand um, that was basically like, I, Monica Bacha, am an unauthorized person living in this apartment. And he was like, you need to sign this. And I said, I am not signing this. And I refused to sign it. And um, I guess finally I got the fixer, Artyom, on the phone. Um, and Artyom came and he worked out a bribe to let me and my roommate go. Um. <laughs> so here's a question. How long were you guys in, quote unquote, custody, maybe, would you call it? Or it, was the entire, it was the entire day. I mean, I wasn't there overnight and um, it, I wasn't like behind bars, um, but I was definitely like seated in a police station being interrogated about having the proper residency status. And it was really difficult because another one of the police officers had his fly unzipped the entire time. So I'm like, this is just ridiculous. You know, in my head, I'm like, these clowns, (laughs) these clowns are trying to extort money out of me. And like, they can't even zip their own flies. (laughs) Like, um, but that's, that's just it. And, uh, you know, that's I, my understanding is commonplace. They see that you have a passport from a country that has more money and they'll, you know, do what they can to try to get money out of you. The problem being, you know, you can give them the money, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily going to give you your passport back. So, so when the fixer, you had this guy on like speed dial. Yeah, I had. I mean, they have you program them into your cell phone. So I had a, you know, early. I think it probably was like a Nokia model cell phone when I was over there. Uh, you know, with rudimentary texting uh, abilities. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Actually, I have no idea what your like rights are under the Rus- Russian constitution in terms of being entitled to a phone call. But somehow, I was able to make a phone call. I don't remember how that actually happened. Um, but I think they also realized that like neither one of us had money on us. So we needed to call somebody that did have money. <laughs> so when you were in the holding area, did they separate you guys? Did they have you guys like on a one-on-one basis? Where uh, did they speak English at all? Or they didn't how? speak a lick of English. So how did you guys? I mean, you uh, she spoke didn't. Russian? I spoke Russian, so I could communicate with him, and um, and so it was pretty ridiculous. I mean, we were actually just sitting on. Um, there was this di- dilapidated old couch. Um, yeah, no, no, no. There was a dilapidated old couch. Um, one of, and it was, I want to say it was almost like a police break room in a sense. It was like a neighborhood, you know, police outpost. It wasn't threatening at all. It was just ridiculous. Cause one guy was like the guy who had his fly unzipped was like eating his dinner and like watching something on TV. And then all the sort of, um, basically everywhere they have framed pictures of Putin and Medvedev on the wall. Um, and, and so you're just, I, I, you know, it, it was, it was when I was sitting there, I was like, I can't believe I'm in this situation. Like, I really can't believe that I'm here. Um, because it was just unbelievably ridiculous. Um, I don't know. I don't, 
maybe not the best story. I didn't, I didn't feel personally threatened. I didn't feel like anything was going to happen to me. Um, I just felt like, uh, these are like two peons who are trying to exert some sort of like modicum of authority over me. And I just wasn't having it. So, <laughs> so it's funny. Cause it seems like probably the audience probably is thinking that, and I'm probably, I'm thinking this when I first heard this story is, most famous show that was in America for a while, Locked Up Abroad. So, <laughs> so yeah, so you get, um, you see where I'm like, damn, that's some, you hear some crazy ass stories about this. And you're like, you're not locked up, but you're, you're getting extorted. They want money from you. And obviously, you guys are college students have no money. Yep. You're there and they kind of realize, huh. So, when the guy shows up, do you see the fixer when he shows up? Do you show him or does he talk to you over the phone or um, the, how does it work? I, well, I talked to the, I talked to the fixer over the phone first. Um, and, um, he, he came, he was like, you know, sit tight. Don't, don't sign that confession. Like don't sign it. Whatever you do, don't sign it. Um, I was like, yes, I get it. Artyom. I'm not signing it. Um, and it, I don't know actually how long it took him to get there, but it felt like it took hours for him to get there. Um, and then uh, because Artyom was the one with the money, he was the one who negotiated uh, the the bribe to get us released. Um, and, you know, and then he uh, dressed, I think he... I think dressed both of us down for letting the, the, the police into the apartment. So what, I mean, it's crazy. Like when you think back at the situation, what do you think would have happened if your fixture didn't show up? Would have, have you ever thought about that? You know what? I have never thought about that. I mean, I, maybe I would have been there longer and I would have had to actually call our consulate there. Um, but I don't know. It was weird. Cause I just didn't feel, I didn't feel threatened. It's not like, um, I was doing anything illegal. I mean, although they could have said I was doing something illegal, but it's not like, um, I was caught with drugs or something like that, that would have gotten me actually locked up abroad because I definitely would not want to be locked up in a Russian prison. If you, if you think our prisons are bad, <laughs> don't go to Russia. Like, Russian prison is pretty awful. So what would be some of the common myths that are incorrect about Russia that people think? And what would you dispel from for our viewers listening about Russia? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, I don't know that this is a myth, but f as much as I, you know, conceded earlier that portions of it are um, third world, both St. Petersburg and St. Petersburg and Moscow's metro systems are two of the best in the entire world. Like during rush hour um, in Moscow, a train is coming every 30 seconds to a minute um, because most people um, take the train there. Um it's not, it's not, it's not all polar bears and snow. Um, <laughs> they, they do drink a lot of vodka. Um, that is, that is a, uh, not a myth that is, uh, true. I, I drank my fair share while I was there. Um, I think, 
well, maybe you said it earlier that, you know, Russians maybe hate Americans. I don't know. I don't think that they hate Americans as they more so distrust um, Americans, but they distrust people generally. Um, Culturally, they're very different. Um, They don't, you don't really make friends unless another friend introduces you. Um, you don't just like go to the bar and like meet people there. Um, although people do go out to the bars. Um, I'm just trying to think, uh, this is, yeah. I mean, well, do you have any, do you have any stereotypes of Russia that you, that you want me to assess? (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm just here just learning like everybody else's on the, on the pod. And I think we, we all have these views of, Vladimir Putin bareback riding a horse. <laughs> and yeah. you know, tough guy, you know, and you, and I've heard it's like a beautiful place. I've heard it's beautiful. I hear it's an amazing place to see. And you know, I would love to go, but I don't know if I'm I don't know if you saw too many brothers over there hanging out in uh, St. Peter Square. Or I whatnot. only saw <laughs> one or two, and I will tell you that um African American, they make a distinction f- between African Americans and Africans, and, mm-hmm. and I'm—I uh, hate to speak in generalities, but I'm—I'm going to speak in generalities. Uh, Russians are very racist. Um, I mean, probably just as racist as the United States. Um, it's just that their racism is um, very much uh, directed at people from Central Asia and the Caucasus, like. Uh, they're they're kind of like our Latino population of like undocumented immigrants. Um, the people from Central Asia do a lot of the um, menial labor there, um, and so that's sort of the equivalent. And then um, historically, um, there had been a lot of sort of intellectual exchange um, with um, Africans coming to their country, and um, I don't know necessarily why. I mean. It's just thinking that Russia and Russians are superior, um, that, you know, they're racist towards Africans. But if you're African-American, they have seen, you know, um, one too many movies and American television shows and heard all of the rap and they are like totally down with it. So, I, you know, and I think you maybe you spoke to this experience that you had when you were in, was it, it was Spain, you know, um, where the, the Spanish, when they thought that you were from Africa, the, yeah. The Catalonians. Catalonians. Yeah, yeah. Not Spanish. Okay. <laughs> so, so, oh, I, yes, we definitely need to make that distinction yes, for sure. For sure. Um, they would not be happy um, if, if I were equating them with um, Spaniards. Um, so, yes, the Catalonians, um, you know, they were basically rude to you, rude. you know, until, until um, they realized that you were an African American and not an African. Um, and actually, oh God, I, I remember when I was in St. Petersburg, actually, I was there in the, in the spring. So I was there, um, there's a huge neo-Nazi presence in St. Petersburg. And I'm at least at the time I was there and when it was, um, 420 Hitler's birthday, um, the, yeah, the, the government, I forget exactly which authorities, um, made an announcement that, but they were basically like, if you are, um, you know, an ethnic minority, we advise that you just don't leave your 
home that day because we cannot guarantee your personal safety. Um, yeah. And, and when I say like violent neo-Nazi white supremacists, I mean like, um, you know, beating the crap out of people that weren't Russian. Um, they also, um, they also hate on Polish, on Ukrainians, um, you know, <laughs> so basically you're, anybody you're, that's not Russian. <laughs> that, that's not a myth. <laughs> yeah. That's not a myth, but at the same yeah. time, you know, I, this is why it's so weird because my perspective on it is like, you know, we have a decent chunk of people in the United States that are just like <laughs> Russians. It's just, they feel that way about the U S I think, um, <laughs> we've, uh, we've always known we have that, have had that in America. Unfortunately, um, has come back again. So yeah. we're not going to get into the politics. Never gone away. Yeah. No, no politics. No, I mean, what no, I can but... say, I mean, I was there when, um, Putin was, um, reelected president. At the fair election, I guess. Yes. Right? It's a 100% <laughs> fair election. And there were election posters. Um, and maybe we can find an image of it at some point. Um, but it had a picture of Ivan the Terrible, Stalin, and Putin, and it was like Russians like strong leaders. And this is so in the Western world, we very much obviously view like Stalin as absolutely awful. Um, but like leading up to that election, um, when they polled, um, you know, the people, they were like, if Stalin were alive today, you know, would you vote for them? A good 30% of the country would have voted for Stalin, despite the fact that he killed like I don't, I don't even know, like at least 6 million people. Um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, they, they have a, and that's the thing is it's, it's a reminder to you as a Westerner that we have a very Western view of history. Like for example, um, in Russia, they don't, world war two is not world war two. It's the great patriotic war. Um, but just think about what they went through um, during World War II, um, where like Leningrad, um, there was a blockade and I'm trying to remember how long the blockade was, but like there was no food getting in or out and it was winter and um, people were reduced to um, eating books and furniture. Like they would chop up the wood and just like eat it because they didn't, there was nothing else. Um, which is crazy. My host, my host mom lived through that. My host mom lived through that. And so as, as a result of it, she became a a hoarder. Um, yeah, she became a hoarder. She had, I remember, I remember she had two basically like five pound gallon buckets of sugar, um, underneath, uh, you know, in the cupboard and I was baking cookies for, um, you know, people in my class one day and I dipped into one of the, you know, buckets of sugar. And she was basically like, what are you doing? You know, like you need to get your own sugar. And I was like, (laughs) okay, (laughs) it'll be okay. You have Um, 10 pounds of sugar. I think, I think you'll be fine. Yeah, I think you're fine. But like, you know, because she lived through a time when, when there was literally no food and, and she was just hungry, you know, all, all the time, um, you know, that made her just hoard food. Um, and so they're very, um, they're very proud. They're, they're very proud of their country that, I mean, on, and on that front that, you know, in Stalingrad, they defeated, um, Hitler and the Nazis, um, you know, they're, 
and I guess they sh- they should be proud. I mean, it is something to be proud of. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of very um, I guess difficult um, history to unpack in like the former Soviet socialist republics. Um, when I was there, I traveled to um, Latvia and Estonia, and they have um, they both have museums of the occupation, and it's for the occupation of when they were occupied by both uh, the USSR and the Nazis. Um, so they don't take kindly to the Russians, or um, obviously, you know, the Nazis when they were there. Um, but they don't. Um, most of the former Soviet socialist republics, at least the ones that I went to, um, and that still had, you know, ethnic Russians living there, did not like Russians at all. Now, one thing that you did say that we got before we got online, which I found very interesting. How did they get the young people to vote? Mm. I found yeah. that very interesting with how you said it. <laughs> um, so I, I, the... Putin's party over there is um, called United Russia, Yudina Russia, and um, the way they would get young people to go vote for Putin is they would basically give them free vodka. They would have like music acts and be like, "Here's a bunch of free vodka." Um, and so there's, I mean, there is a lot of apathy there too about politics because regardless of who they vote for, they're going to have the same person. So a lot of people, um, even though it's a national holiday there, a lot of people don't vote um, because they think it's pointless, which I think is, you know, similar to the United States too. Um, And I don't know, I guess, I think um, they're suffering the effects of having the same person um, who only acts in his own self-interest at the helm of of the country. Um, But at the same time, they have like a saying um, like that Moscow's far away, Moscow daleko, because I mean, the country's and it's both geographically far away. And for many of the people who day to day are just absolutely poverty stricken, um, they don't care who's running the country. They care where they're going to get their next meal. So they just don't care who's president period. Um, and I, I think that's also true for people here in the United States. There are plenty of people who it doesn't matter who they voted for. They've, their living situation hasn't changed, you know, like they've born poor, they've stayed poor their entire life and the administrations have changed and it's never done anything for them. Um, so it kind of sounds like there's a lot of similarities. There are, um, there are, um, I think the, the biggest difference though, um, and, um, you is, just the way I, I guess with Putin, how he s- conceives of the the world. Um, and I think right now, and I mean, obviously, I don't have any personal insight into this or, or you know, intel, but the fact that um, there are all, is all of this news coverage about how Russia has, you know, 
hack certain election databases or, you know, voter registration databases, um, has even, I mean, used their, um, disinformation, disinformatia, uh, wing of, um, I, I think it is the FSB to, um, basically push things through on social media to, um, you know, get people to, I guess, to sway the election. Um, although, I mean, it's, it's an open question whether, you know, they had that much of an influence, but, you know, the, the Russian, um, bots and trolls, like they've got that army, um, there. And I, I personally think that Putin is really happy because, Russia is now relevant. Russia has the ability to have an impact, um, not, you know, not just in anywhere, but on the United States. That's supposed to be this like amazing global superpower. Um, and I don't think, I, I think Putin sees Russia as on the rise and as a or probably already is, you know, a global, um, superpower. Um, and I don't, I don't think it needs to have all of these positive apple pie connotations (laughs) to be a superpower. You're either a superpower or you're, you're not for him. Um, and you know, who, who knows, um, you know, who knows, what his long-term, um, machinations are, but, uh, it, it, I think at present, he's probably very happy that he's relevant. It's, it's when they weren't relevant, um, that when Russia wasn't relevant on the world stage that I think it really, um, probably bothered him, you know? Well, I would like to thank you <laughs> for all this insight. Uh, I've gained a lot of knowledge, um, that I probably wouldn't have gotten anywhere else just because, we get a Western view of things. Our media will tell us what we, what we want to know. Um, somebody in the front lines, been gone for a little bit, but a lot of things don't change. They normally stay the same. Yep. They, just, they just stay the same. So again, I appreciate you coming on the pod for After Dark Podcast. And um, folks, if you want to hear more, email me, no picks at the dark pod, podcast at gmail.com. We're out. <laughs>